Attention, all troops. She's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Rockerless. I grew up in an area of New Jersey that is very close to New York City and while we didn't have a lot of food options in my town, we did have a lot of pizza parlors. I would almost like to say we had almost too many pizza parlors, if that's possible. But we had about seven in a not very big town. And no other fast food options. No burger chains, no taco chains, no chicken chains. This was a pizza town. And we loved our pizza. And each pizzeria was different enough that... We would have specific things that we would get or reasons we would get pizza from that place. There was the one place that had the good mussels. There was the one place that you can get cheap pizza that would throw in soda. There were lots of different options and different reasons. So whenever we did have pizza, there would be a discussion beforehand to see if there were any coupons, of course. And then the adults in the household would decide, well, do we want mussels or salad? And then the order would get made. Me, I had two pizzerias that I liked to go to, mostly based on the fact that the pizza was cheap and came with a free soda, and they had arcade games. Despite this embarrassment of riches when it came to pizzerias, when pizza chains started to advertise, it caught my interest. Companies like Domino's and Pizza Hut hadn't arrived yet. Domino's would be the one that would eventually plant a flag in town, but it was almost the inability to get it that interested me. Not to mention the very catchy advertising. If there was a time we were going to eat lunch out and we were near a Pizza Hut, I would always try to talk my mom into going. And she was so into pizza or into pizzerias in our area that she would have no part of it. She did not want to try this Pizza Hut. She didn't want to order from Domino's. She would say, why would we get this when we have the best pizza in the world? Eventually, when I was able to drive, I started sneaking out to be able to go to Pizza Hut without telling my mom about it. Because I knew that she would not like that I was eating Pizza Hut when we had all these great pizzerias. Now, I know I'm just a victim of advertising, but once I got into a Pizza Hut, it had a very warm environment that was very different than most of the pizzerias in our area. There were one or two that had that sort of warm, earthy quality inside. But all of the Pizza Huts when I was growing up had wood everywhere and the fun colored chandelier lights. Stepping into one made me feel like I was entering a commercial, which made me feel like I was participating in something bigger just by eating pizza. I still miss the pizza that I had growing up in my town. I was very lucky to have all of those options available to me. And nowadays I'm constantly chasing pizza that might taste similarly. But every once in a while, I'll drive by a Pizza Hut and I'll think, yeah, I need to go there. It's not going to be the best pizza in the world, but it's wonderful comfort food. So on today's show, I'd like to talk to you about one of the chains that caught my attention as a kid and took me away from local pizzas, Pizza Hut. We'll talk about the people behind the pizza. We'll talk about the growth of the company, its competition, Meta Girls back with a top five list, and we'll throw in a few surprises here and there. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show. 
before we talk about Pizza Hut, we should talk a little bit about the history of pizza in the United States. The story goes that pizza first started appearing in the United States with the mass arrival of Italian immigrants in the late 19th century. And pizza could be found amongst enclaves in large cities that attracted a population of Italian immigrants. And pizza before the 1940s was limited to those areas generally. That actually applied broadly to a lot of Italian food. But then World War II happened, and a lot of soldiers returning from Europe had spent some time in Italy. And suddenly they realized Italian food is delicious. Now, a lot of people say that Americans might have developed a taste for pizza while in Italy, but odds are that wasn't true. There's a myth that's very common that U.S. soldiers, when they had reached Naples in Italy, first had pizza. And mostly this has been debunked. Naples was destitute at the time from the war, and it was very unlikely that soldiers would be found eating pizza there. But they did have some Italian food, and that stuck with them. What would make pizza popular were two things. The first thing was people started to have more disposable income. And in people's homes, freezers became more common. And thus there was a demand for convenience foods. This caused the development of frozen pizza. Now you can judge frozen pizza all you like, but pizza works as a frozen food. It was in 1957 that the Celentano brothers introduced the first supermarket frozen pizzas. The second thing that made pizza so popular was commercialization. People were figuring out new ways to sell pizza. That included delivery and restaurants that catered to families. And you would see a slew of companies that would come up in this time. Companies like Shakey's Pizza, Pizza Hut, Little Caesars, and Domino's. Pizza Hut would not exist without two brothers, the Carney brothers, Dan and Frank. When you think of pizza and pizza meccas, where Pizza Hut was established might not jump to the top of your list, which was Topeka, Kansas. Why start a pizza place way back in 1958? Well, the Carney brothers were looking for a business, and a friend suggested pizza, not because it was a popular thing, but because it was rare and unheard of. People had no idea what they were going to have when they had pizza. So they borrowed $600 from their mother and rented a small building in downtown Wichita at 503 South Bluff. And everything they did was trying to scrape by with what they could. They had secondhand equipment. Even the name Pizza Hut was chosen because the sign they had could only fit that many characters on it with spaces. Because people didn't even know what pizza was to a large extent, they started giving away product. And I can only imagine what it must have been like to have never had pizza before and then have it for the first time, especially if it was decent pizza. It looks like what Pizza Hut was doing was decent, which is impressive because two weeks before they opened the business, neither of them had ever made a pizza. They had to go find someone to teach them to make a pizza. Business was slow at first, like all food businesses, but word of mouth caught on. And before they knew it, there were long lines forming outside of the first Pizza Hut. At the time, people noted that business took off pretty quickly. And the first store was pulling in weekly sales of about $1,500, which was a decent amount of money in the late 50s. It was so popular that by the end of the first year, they opened five more Pizza Huts. While this many Pizza Huts is a good amount of Pizza Huts, the 
Carney Brothers were ambitious and wanted to grow their business even larger. So they had the idea of franchising the operation. This didn't go over well with bankers in the area who didn't think that the concept could be profitable at scale. So they came up with a very novel and simple Pizza Hut franchising system for an initial fee of $100 and a $100 monthly royalty to them. You could own your own Pizza Hut. And they recruited mostly college friends at first or people who had worked in the Pizza Hut stores that they had, people who had seen firsthand how Pizza Hut worked. At the end of Pizza Hut's first decade in business, they had 310 locations serving more than a million people each week. When you're deciding to grow a business, usually you encounter competition. And on the west coast of the United States, Pizza Hut's first competitor was doing pretty well. It was a pizza business that still exists today, Shakey's Pizza. After these messages, we'll be right back. You remember Goldilocks, the kid who used to take her meals at the Three Bears place? Nowadays, she heads for Shakey's with 21 kinds of great pizza and even more kinds of fun. This is what I call a fun place. We serve fun at Shakey's, also pizza. Shakey's! And now, back to the show. Shakey's was founded in 1954 by Sherwood Shakey Johnson and Ed Plummer. I love the story of how they started. They wanted to open a pizza parlor. Unfortunately, the timing of their opening and their advertising didn't coincide with the completion of their pizza ovens. So on that weekend, they didn't serve any pizzas, just beer. But beer is very profitable, and they took the profits from their sale of beer to buy ingredients for pizza, which they started serving on that Monday. Shakey's was a really interesting place, more of a party atmosphere. That was sort of the idea. Food was secondary. It's a place to have fun. And they would play Dixieland piano music and having fun stuff on the walls. It wouldn't take long before Shakey's started to expand. By 1967, there would be 272 Shakey's pizzas, which is a significant amount of pizza places. Most of them centered around the western side of the United States. That number would change and grow, and currently there are 500 Shakey's Pizzas globally, 58 of them in the United States still. What Shakey's gave Pizza Hut was an adversary, someone they could look at and think, well, if we don't do it, they're going to. And they really realized this when Shakey's Pizzas started to show up in areas where Pizza Hut was expanding. When they did encounter Shakey's, though, it made them think about what kind of business are they? Are they going to be an entertainment business like Shakey's? Are they going to be a delivery service like companies like Domino's would become? Or are they going to be what they decided to eventually be, which is a neighborhood pizza restaurant? Once they realized that they wanted to have this warm restaurant feel, it was at this point that they were able to standardize their image. And they hired Wichita architect Richard D. Burke, who designed the very famous mansard roof-shaped pizza hut that was so popular for a long time, although sadly they're all fading away now. They thought that this layout would counter competition from Shakey's because Shakey's had a unique look to it as well. This full standardization was put in place by 1964. So post-1964, many Pizza Huts began to look exactly alike. By 1969, Pizza Hut would go public. 
this infusion of money allowed them to open even more locations. And by the early 70s, they were looking like the undisputed leaders in chain pizza restaurants. At this point, Pizza Hut would start going global. And they were growing at a pace that was overwhelming and needed to learn more about corporate strategy, like a lot of companies when they're first starting out. This restructuring to kind of bring a corporate management structure to the company would be instrumental in a later purchase of Pizza Hut by PepsiCo. But in the meantime, the strategy itself meant growth, more growth, especially international growth. In 1970, they opened restaurants in Germany and Australia. That was around the same time that the 500th restaurant opened in the United States. They also started buying stakes in ingredients manufacturing, crust makers, and food processors. They would also start experimenting with different foods. And we'll talk a little bit about Pizza Hut and experimentation later. In 1972, the company went public and was listed on the New York Stock Exchange. Around this time, they would also reach a new milestone of sales, getting a million dollars worth of sales in a week in the U.S. market. In 1973, they would expand even further, opening restaurants in Japan and Great Britain. And by 1976, they had 100 restaurants outside the United States and 2,000 worldwide within its franchise network. That 2,000th restaurant was in Independence, Missouri. It was also at this point that they would start running advertising both nationally and globally. In 1972, they spent 942000 on advertising. By 1974, that number had increased to $3.1 million, and it would continue to grow. So it's no surprise that a lot of people knew who Pizza Hut was, because even if you did not live in an area with a Pizza Hut, you would start seeing their ads. In 1977, because the company looked so good and was being run pretty well, PepsiCo, makers of Pepsi, purchased the company for $320 million, paid in stock to Pizza Hut shareholders. The Carney brothers made out pretty well. They owned 10% of the company, so they made $32 million. Frank would be asked to remain as Pizza Hut's president and serve on the board of directors of PepsiCo, and he would remain there until 1980. He would leave both jobs, and his plan was to leave the pizza business for good. But, unfortunately for Pizza Hut, he did not. And we'll circle back to that in a little bit. Now with the top five list, here's Metagirl. Five, four, three, two. One. Greetings, retro fans. This is Metagirl, bringing you the top five discontinued menu items from Pizza Hut. At number five is the bag bag. It's very hip and it's no drag. For a buck buck, you get the bag bag. Yep, that's right. From around 1983 to 85, if you ordered a medium or large pizza to eat in-house or to go, you could get an awesome bright red 17-inch long durable nylon sport bag with handy handles and a zipper closure stamped with the Pizza Hut logo and some zippy stripes for only a dollar. Not bad, bag. Number four is the taco pizza. In March 1979, Pizza Hut introduced a pizza-looking, taco-tasting pizza, the taco pizza. The pizza had a taste that said, Olay, with a base including refried beans and toppings of beef, lettuce, onions, tomatoes, and loads of cheddar cheese. 
Taco sauce could be added at the eater's discretion. The release of this Mexican-inspired delight was not without controversy. Texas-based competitor Pizza Inn tried to block Pizza Hut from using the name Taco Pizza, claiming that they had exclusive rights to the term, which they had tried to get trademarked. Pizza Hut's legal team won the it's a general term argument, and both chains offered their zesty pies. Another controversy? Whether the Taco Pizza is truly a retired menu item. Though only broadly available into the mid-80s, some folks claim that their local huts will still make the taco pizza upon request. Number three is the Bigfoot Pizza. The Bigfoot Pizza was all about size and value. Released in 1993, this monstrous morsel was two feet long by one foot wide. It was so big that it was delivered in a paper bag, presumably because there was not enough corrugated cardboard to contain such a pizza beast. And yet, the price was lower per square pizza inch than other Pizza Hut offerings. Folks loved getting more pizza for their money, and they loved Bigfoot's unique sourdough crust, but production, quality, and delivery challenges, plus a limited number of toppings, led to a quick drop-off in sales after a strong launch. Though the Yeti pie lingered in some markets for years, sadly, few sightings were reported by the mid-90s. For further folklore on the Bigfoot pizza, including the harrowing tale of a 4th of July blimp crash in New York City, check out the Retroist blog post on the subject. At number two is the Triple Decker Pizza. In 1996, Pizza Hut was looking for a place to add more cheese to its pizzas. Having already stuffed the crusts, it had nowhere to go but up. Hence, the triple-decker pizza, though it was really more of a double-decker or a quadra-decker than a triple. Vertically, the structure consisted of a thin crust, a six-cheese blend, a second crust, then more cheese, plus toppings. Its pizza cousin, the triple-deccaroni, had the same architecture with the addition of 90 pepperoni slices. Despite the extra layer of crust and cheese, the triple-decker wasn't particularly thick, as can be seen in vintage commercials featuring Anthony Quinn and a not-so-silent monk. For reasons unknown, the triple-decker only lasted about a year. Until Pizza Hut brings back this short-lived favorite, the best we can do is order two thin-crust pizzas and stack them. And the number one discontinued Pizza Hut menu item is the Priazzo. Don't call it a pizza. The Priazzo was an Italian pie. A deep dish, double crusted pie, stuffed with your favorite Italian meats, cheeses, veggies, and sauce, and then smothered with even more sauce and cheese before being baked to perfection. Launched in 1985, the Priazzo's Italian sounding yet nonsensical name was dreamed up by the same folks that brought us the Pontiac Fiero. The 80s were a great time for imitation Italian brands. Eventually, there'd be six varieties of the Priazzo with different ingredient combinations named after Italian cities like Roma and Milano. No substitutions were allowed, but subtractions were okay. The Priazzo was designed to boost dinner sales and was served all day on weekends, but only after four on weekdays. Pizza Hut had hoped the Priazzo would do for dinner revenues what the personal pan pizza had done for lunch. Sadly, it was not meant to be, and the Priazzo was donezo by the early 90s. Its downfall? Time. The deep dish delight took around 40 minutes to prepare, too long for most dashing diners. And there you have it, the Retroist Top 5 Discontinued Menu Items from Pizza Hut. Until next time, List fans, this has been Metagirl.
Thanks, Metagirl. When Pizza Hut was taken over by PepsiCo, sales that year were $436 million, and they decided to open a new $10 million headquarters for Pizza Hut in Wichita. Unfortunately, as the 80s came along, competition started to intensify. Not only did they still have companies like Shakey's and other companies like Straw Hat Pizza that were chains that were growing, but older competitors, people who've been around for a long time, who had taken a different route on how they handled pizza, namely delivery, would start gunning for Pizza Hut's business. And two companies that were really big on this were Little Caesars and Domino's. So Pizza Hut decided it needed to innovate. And they would start to introduce new products, something they'd always been interested in. And probably their biggest breakthrough from this era was the pan pizza. It had a thicker crust and came in deep pans. It would soon become hugely popular. And it was helped that Pepsi had deep pockets for advertising to push it. I think most people will remember at the time that Pizza Hut would run a personal pan pizza five-minute guarantee that you would get your personal pan pizza in five minutes, and it would be piping hot and served to you quick. The reason everybody knew that was because of the massive amounts of advertising that was going on. After these messages, we'll be right back. What makes a Pizza Hut pan pizza so good? It's a pan full of homemade taste. Made fresh with dough we raised twice. Baked in a pan with a light, crispy crust. Dripping with pure mozzarella cheese. And your favorite toppings. There's only one place you can get a pan pizza this good. Your hometown Pizza Hut restaurant. And now, back to the show. With these new products, Pizza Hut appointed a new president and chief executive officer in 1984, Stephen Reinemund. In the 80s, under Reinemund, Pizza Hut would thrive, and by 1986, they had opened their 5,000th location, and that one was in Dallas, Texas. They also started doing home delivery to counter the growth of Domino's and Little Caesars. By the early 1990s, delivery and carryout would become 25% of the company's total sales. Pizza was so popular that even companies like McDonald's got in on the act, releasing McPizza in the early 90s in test markets. And while it didn't catch on, it showed how much more competitive the pizza market was becoming. It's at this point that you start to see things like drive-throughs and Pizza Hut Expresses start to open, small little kiosks that would open in airports and shopping malls. This allowed Pizza Hut to offer pizza to a larger audience while keeping prices low because the operating costs of these Pizza Hut Expresses were so low. Despite all of this, Pizza Hut hit some hard times in the 90s. Fast food rivals had cut prices in the 90s, and Pizza Hut just couldn't match it, nor could they keep up with the competition. In 1994, Roger Enrico took over Pizza Hut and Pizza Hut would try to increase profits with a new product. And I wanted to mention this because it was Enrico who decided to push and heavily promote stuffed crust pizza, which was a pizza with mozzarella folded into the outer edge crust. Basically, the idea was that people threw away their crust because they didn't think it was very flavorful. And so if you gave them more cheese or something to do with the crust, 
then they would eat that and they would see that as a bonus. They spent a lot of money advertising stuffed crust pizza and it seemed to work. The market share rose from 25.6% to 27%. And in 1995, sales increased 16%. Because of this success, Pizza Hut decided that they would try to release a new product every year, something that would capture everybody's imagination. Not only that, they would look at, say, a product that already existed and try to put a little bit of a spin on it to freshen it up. Unfortunately for Pizza Hut, while profits seemed to be going up, there was still a big drain of resources and capital placed on Pepsi. Pizza Hut accounted for 17% of PepsiCo's total sales, but the return on investment for Pepsi's other products, their beverages and snacks, was much higher. And in the late 1990s, Pepsi decided to take all of its restaurant businesses and roll them all up into a new company. This included KFC and Taco Bell, as well as Pizza Hut. And this new company that was founded in 1997 was called Tricon Global Restaurants. They decided to have their headquarters in Louisville, Kentucky. Tricon would develop partnerships with Yorkshire Global Restaurants. Yorkshire had companies like Long John Silver's and A&W. These turned out to be successful. And in 2002, Yorkshire announced that it was going to merge with Tricon Global Restaurants. And that company would be called Yum Brands. Yum with an exclamation point. That merger was finished on May of 2002. If you're a fast food eater, and I am, one of the side effects of this merger was that restaurants that had formerly served Coca-Cola suddenly switched to Pepsi products. So if you were an A&W fan, you probably liked drinking Coca-Cola there. From that point on, you could only get Pepsi products. And Yum Brands is still where you can currently find Pizza Hut. And if you were driving through any city in any part of the world, you will see combination restaurants, Pizza Huts with Taco Bells, Pizza Huts with KFCs, A&Ws with Long John Silvers all merged together in a crazy soup of fast food mayhem. It certainly does make for interesting lunch options. So I want to circle back to innovation. It's a strength of any company. And in the 1980s, Pizza Hut pushed hard on this. They hired David Novak to head the product development and try to block the growth of companies like Domino's. Novak thought, well, if you're going to have new products, it will entice people to come to the store to try it, and then they will buy all of the original existing products. Not a bad theory. So they started a new product development team within the company, and they wanted to release test foods on a regular basis. Now, the testing system was 18 months long for any product, so they had to have a lot in the chamber, constantly testing new things in order to have one thing that worked. And an example of something that would work would be Pizza Hut's stuffed crust pizza. Very popular, still well-remembered today. And those would join other very popular Pizza Hut things like their meat lovers and veggie lovers lines of food, and it would lead to such great things like the Pizza Hut Bigfoot pizza. But for every big success, there were a dozen things that just didn't work out. Things like pizza in a cone or the waffle crust pizza. Unfortunately, for Pizza Hut, they were innovating in food, which is great if people are coming into your store trying new things. There was a recession in the late aughts, 2008-2009, and people stopped eating out as much as they did. In the fourth quarter of 2009, for example... Sales at Pizza Hut declined by 12%. And in 
And suddenly the idea of new products and new taste ideas wasn't as important as reliability and convenience. Unfortunately for Pizza Hut, they had decided to become the neighborhood restaurant and never really invested in becoming a delivery service. But as you might know, another company was looking to be everybody's delivery service, and that was Domino's. Domino's had invested a huge amount of money in technology, trying to come up with more sophisticated ways to take orders and deliver pizza. And while their early investments in this in the 90s might have seemed trivial, by 2010, this investment was starting to make a lot of sense. People were looking to use their smartphones to order pizzas, and Domino's was on the forefront of that. Pizza Hut would continue to try to innovate on their product line with this mini cheeseburger pizzas and a new Pizza Hut flavor combinations that you could pick which ones you want. But again, this didn't really up the convenience factor that people wanted. This has meant that compared to the competition, Pizza Hut's sales have been pretty flat and Domino's continues to grow and push ahead of them. It doesn't help that other companies not only rose to compete with them, but would rise to compete with Domino's, thus cutting even deeper into Pizza Hut. And one of the ones that hurt the most, and I'm not just talking money-wise, was Papa John's. So as I said, Frank Carney thought that he was going to leave the pizza business. And he stepped down from Pizza Hut in 1980 and decided to try a whole bunch of different things. But in his heart, he's a pizza person. In a 1998 interview in the Nation's Restaurant News, Carney said, I had no desire to get back into the pizza business. I never saw anything that was compelling enough to get back in. What he didn't expect, though, was that a friend of his would approach him about trying a new franchise venture, something called Papa John's. Carney thought, well, let's check out what this pizza company is all about. And when he tried Papa John's, he liked what he tasted. And he bought his first Papa John's franchise in 1994. Carney just didn't like the pizza. What he liked was how the company was being run. Because it reminded him of his own company when he ran it. When I said this was bad for Pizza Hut, it was embarrassing. In 1997, he got involved in Papa John's promotional efforts. In their first national TV ad campaign, Carney appeared at a meeting of Pizza Hut franchisees. This was all fictional, of course. And then he announced, sorry guys, I found a better pizza. Pizza Hut was nonplussed. And it didn't help that Carney was so outspoken, especially about the quality of the pizza. He was quoted again saying, Pizza Hut has great marketers, but customers are telling them that they don't have great pizza, so they have to fix that. In my opinion, they are better marketers than operators. They need to take a lot more care that each element is superior, use better ingredients, and make better pizza. It was at this point that Papa John's would embrace the tagline, better ingredients, better pizza, which was just a dig into Pizza Hut. By 2001, Carney had a piece of nearly 130 Papa John's restaurants and would plan to buy into even more of them moving forward. So the founder of Pizza Hut had switched loyalties and had completely bought in to the system that was being established over at Papa John's. Pizza Hut continues to change and grow. One of the things I see them online occasionally doing is kind of embracing their past, which appeals to me. I'd like to take a moment to talk about something that Pizza Hut does that I think is pretty interesting. It's called Book It. 
which is a reading incentive program that started in 1985. And with it, students who read books, according to a goal set by a teacher, in any time from October through March, are given Pizza Hut gift certificates, which allowed them to get a free one-topping personal pan pizza. And if your classroom read the most books, you got a pizza party. This program is beloved by many kids. It also gets some criticism who say that you're basically bribing kids with pizza or that it's a promotion for Pizza Hut. It is, but you got to read a book anyway. You might as well get some free pizza. Pizza Hut isn't going anywhere. They will continue to innovate and technology-wise, they are trying to catch up. So I wouldn't ever count them out, especially with the power of Yum! brands behind them and all the combinations of food you can get at Yum! brand restaurant locations. Still, I do yearn for the old days of Pizza Hut. Whenever I drive by a shiny new Pizza Hut, I miss the mansard roofs. I keep hoping that they will bring them back and make them the standard. I also want them to change the interiors of the restaurants. I know that's wishful thinking, but food triggers a great amount of nostalgia in people. And for me, who grew up on a steady diet of different types of pizza, Pizza Hut was something special, mostly because I couldn't get it very often. And whenever I go back, the thing that's going to entice me isn't the fancy new locations or technologies at the table. It's that feeling, that reconnecting with the food of my youth and sharing that food with other people. So maybe if you're like me, you're yearning for something of your childhood. Maybe it's Pizza Hut that's going to push those buttons. Perhaps you're not going to get into the restaurant you want. It's not going to look the same. But if you close your eyes, take a bite of that pizza, just kind of think back. In your mind, you'll be there. And that ain't bad. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you should drop by the website at retroist.com. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at twitter.com slash retroist. The music you hear on the show is by Peachy. If you like what you hear, you should follow Peachy on Twitter. He's at twitter.com slash peachypixel8. That's the word peachy, the word pixel, and the number eight. Thanks to Metagirl for another great top five list. If you like top five lists, and we all do, you should follow Metagirl. She's at twitter.com slash metagirl. That's M-E-T-A-G-R-R-L. Thanks to everyone who has been supporting the show over at Patreon. If you like the show and you can, please support the show on Patreon. You'll get member-only episodes, episode bonus tracks, and access to the Retroist Discord. You can find the Retroist Patreon at patreon.com retroist. I'd like to thank some wonderful people who've joined Patreon, Jason Ho and Danielle Crane. You're all wonderful people, and I'm really glad to have you aboard. If you can't support the show on Patreon and you want to help out the show, please go to wherever you download the show and give it a positive review. It really helps other people find the show. If you like The Retroist, you might like that I have a new newsletter that I send out every week. It's called The Act of Discovery. You can find The Act of Discovery at newsletter.retroist.com. The Act of Discovery is about trying to find stuff and the stuff you find while doing so. It's been a lot of fun and sort of runs from the retro to the modern. And if you like what you hear here, you might enjoy it. And I get to be in your inbox as well as in your podcast app. This will be the final episode of the regular season. And I 
want to thank everyone who has been along on this journey. I'm already planning the next season of the show and we'll be posting information about that very soon. Everyone's been pretty wonderful. I'll probably throw out a couple of extra things before the new season kicks off, but I am planning a new season and I should have information about that up soon. Thanks again for listening to the show and I hope you have a great weekend. And it's no drag for a buck buck. You get the bag bag. This has been a retrospective production. Goodbye.